Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebrow, and welcome to the Definitive Rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The Definitive Rap is proud to be the official podcast of VinNews.com. While the election results of 2020 left many of us sad and disappointed in the race for president, many of us were jubilated with the results in the congressional races. Not only did the GOP not lose any House seats, but we narrowed the Democrat majority by adding a record number of Republican women. Today's guest stands out even more as she is the youngest Republican woman elected to the 117th Congress. But that's not all. Congresswoman Kat Kamak, whom Bela will introduce shortly, also made her mark by adding the flag of Israel aside the American flag outside her office as a friendly hello to her neighbor, squad member and BDS supporter Rashida Tlaib. In the last week, the most talked about issues have been H.R. 1, known as the For the People Act, which the Democrats are cynically trying to pass in order to control all future elections to their benefit. Democrats are also trying to pass a new $1.9 trillion COVID package, which is laden with all kinds of pork and benefits, totally unrelated to COVID-19. We know that Congresswoman Kamak is a warrior against the Democrats' progressive agenda, and we have no doubt that Congresswoman Kamak will become a rising star in the GOP. Bela? Thank you, Alan. We are certainly very lucky to have with us Congresswoman Kat Kamak, who has been on the forefront of public service fighting for vital causes. And there's so much to cover in so little time. So I would like to start off with what I know is one of your priorities, this uh, Congress, with an issue affecting how every year millions of men, women, and children are trafficked worldwide, including right here in the United States. For a listening audience to grasp, human trafficking can happen in any community and victims can be any race, age, gender, or nationality. Traffickers might use violence, manipulation, or false promises of well-paying jobs or even romantic relationships to lure victims into trafficking situations. How do these traffickers get away with it? Well, could be language barriers, fear of their traffickers, and even fear of law enforcement frequently keep victims from seeking help, making it not only a hidden crime, but this has generated many myths and misconceptions about victims. Congresswoman Kat Kamak, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Congresswoman uh, proudly serves Florida's third congressional district as the youngest Republican woman in the 117th Congress. The Congresswoman is a third-generation sandblaster who grew up on a cattle ranch and understands the hard work and determination it takes to run a small business, navigating labor challenges, interpreting regulation, and more. A proud alumnus of the Naval War College, the Congresswoman knows the issues and constituents of Florida's third intimately, having served as the longtime former deputy chief of staff for the district prior to her election in 2020. 
Congresswoman Kamek is a proud wife to her husband, Matt, a Gainesville native who serves with the Gainesville Fire Department as a firefighter and paramedic and SWAT medic. Congresswoman, you hosted a roundtable which included regional local officials, a member of a specialty task force, and representatives of the Department of Homeland Security regarding human trafficking. You were in your first term representing North Central Florida, and you spoke about how near and dear this issue is to you. And you noted how the stigmas and stereotypes associated with, with human trafficking was upsetting to you. And in fact, you worked for eight years overseeing a task force on human trafficking. I read how you remembered a sheriff asking you, quote unquote, well, gee, why do we have to focus on that? Doesn't happen here. My question, Congresswoman, is are things improving where this crime is concerned? And how are the rights and dignity of victims being addressed? Well, first, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. This is awesome to to meet you and see you in person. Um, it's uh, an issue, as you said, that is near and dear to my heart and something that we all as Americans should be concerned about. This isn't a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. This is uh, uh, beyond even an American issue. It's, it's just a human basic rights issue. And when you look at the fact that over 20 million people are trafficked worldwide, basically modern day slavery, you have to step back and really wonder where our priorities are. And for me, I can't begin to fathom how a, a parent can be complicit in the trafficking of their children, which is something that happens on a daily basis, even here in the United States. I can't begin to fathom what kind of broken human being actually enslaves another uh, for profit and for gain and uh, basically breaks them down uh, into a commodity to be used and traded. It is an awful, awful scourge that I think Congress collectively as a whole needs to take a very aggressive stance on, which is why I'm proud to support um, several pieces of human trafficking legislation to bolster law enforcement's efforts to combat this, as well as our state attorney's offices, our U.S. attorney. It's so difficult to prosecute trafficking cases, which is one of the big frustrations that I've seen. In my hometown of Gainesville, for example, there was a man who was trafficking several women who were in the country illegally and who exploited that fact. But when it came time for his trial and, and prosecution, he only ended up getting slapped with a racketeering charge. And this is just something that is so disgusting that I, I can't even begin to think that this man is now walking around free um, while his victims are forever scarred by the experience of having been trafficked by him. Uh, so you mentioned that recently, uh, Congressman Waltz, who is my neighbor to the east in Florida, uh, he he and I participated in this roundtable with DHS, the Blue uh, Blue Campaign, uh, H HSI, um, several different departments at the state and federal level, because this is something that not one entity can really tackle. There's not a single federal agency or government agency or even a nonprofit that can do all the work that is required as we combat this. It really is an effort that all hands need to be on deck. So as we look forward, I'm hoping that we can get some bipartisan work done here in Congress that works to address these and really provide resources. For the longest time, we've had nonprofits that have really had the burden on their shoulders of supporting victims. 
And that's really the bedrock of, of what we need in order to make a case because we can't, we can't go after these guys. Uh, and sometimes the traffickers are women, yeah. um, but these guys and gals, I'll just say traffickers without the testimony and support of the victims, but we can't, we can't put those victims in, in a position where they don't have resources and a support system behind them and the protection um, that they need because they've been broken down to the most vulnerable state. I've seen some pretty disgusting things where, as I mentioned, you know, I've seen mothers trafficking their own children. Um, in a local high school in, in Florida, actually in my district, there were young boys that were being paid by traffickers for every girl they would bring to these parties. And I'm using air quotes, parties, where the they would the girls would be drugged and raped and it would be filmed and they would be coerced into continual trafficking um, of basically sex slaves um, and and no one was the wiser and these are just normal everyday high school girls so it's the notion that this only happens to people that are in poverty or runaways, which are at a tremendous risk, yes, but this happens in, in every demographic, in every uh, socioeconomic class, and it's something, like I said, that we should all stand up and be 100% unified in fighting against. Congresswoman, you mentioned that correctly, that this is not a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. uh, this should be 400, 435 to nothing in the House and 100 to nothing in the Senate. Um, are you getting support from everybody on board or are people just saying, well, it's not really important to us? What has the response been? You know, I have yet to meet somebody who says, oh, my gosh, this isn't a, an important issue. And I think years ago when I was talking with our local law enforcement about, you know, hey, we want to have a human trafficking summit. I was rudely awakened to the comment of, you know, this isn't an issue in our area. Well, it turns out that several several weeks after the fact, that same sheriff who made that comment came to me and said, turns out we actually do have a problem. We have a case in our in our county. Um, the thing that I have have picked up on, especially in this political environment, unfortunately, is that people all agree and they'll tell you that they agree with you, but they're more concerned with who gets credit. Yeah. And in a situation like this, that's just disgusting. I mean, I don't care who gets credit. No one should care who gets credit. We should just get the job done. And when there are lives at stake, that's really what matters is focusing on that and focusing on the end result of making sure that we're fighting this tooth and nail, not worried about whose name is on the bill as the lead sponsor. That's ridiculous. So I, I've been pretty disappointed by some of the comments and, and things that I've seen and heard uh, in Congress about doing bipartisan work. It's always seems to be revolving around who gets credit for, you know, who can use it in the next political season. And that's, that's frustrating. So yes. uh, I'm going to continue to work forward regardless. I'm, I'm the happy warrior. God bless you. Yeah. Oh, you, you are amazingly incredible. Thank you. I just, I, I feel very strongly about this issue. So I, yeah. I don't care if my name isn't even on anywhere associated with it as long as it gets done. I know that you're very fired up about the just passed in the house COVID package. Can you tell us why? Oof. So um, the, the not COVID relief package, the Nancy right. Pelosi payoff, the Biden bailout bill, I have all kinds of names for this bill. Um, and, and again, this shouldn't be a, a partisan issue. A COVID relief bill, when our country is facing the most devastating global pandemic that we've ever seen, when we've lost over uh, a, a half a million lives, when we've had businesses and industries decimated never to recover, 
the last thing that should be in a relief package is garbage like an underground tunnel in Silicon Valley or a bridge to nowhere in New York, in upstate New York, or um, bailouts for cities like San Francisco, who's getting $650 million to erase all the debt they've racked up. Um, they shouldn't be punishing states and cities that have done it right, who have, have worked to open up their doors and, and take common sense measures to protect their citizens and their businesses. But that's what this bill does. And, and they feed you a line of, of BS about, oh, it's to get kids back in school. Okay, well, riddle me this. How in the heck are we going to allocate millions and millions of dollars to the schools, but most of it's going to teachers unions, and then the money that is actually going to schools is going to be spent in 2022? Right. How convenient for your political midterm reelection, but you don't care. They don't give a damn about the kids that are stuck at home, most of which have no access to high-speed, reliable internet. Their parents can't afford it because they're now out of work. I mean... This is, again, the, the garbage games that get played up here, and it's all politics. It's not focused on good policy. It's all the politics. And so I'm, I'm pretty upset about how all this has come to pass. And, of course, you know, we passed it out of the House uh, last week, and um, the Senate just kicked it back to us today. So we'll be voting on this tomorrow. And uh, I have yet to see bill, bill text. And I know this sounds pretty basic and, and elementary, but I have a firm belief that if you cannot read a bill in its entirety, you shouldn't vote on it. Yep. Because I myself and the, you know, I, my family, we lost our cattle ranch in April of 2011 because of a garbage bill that was 1,800 pages long that no one took the time to read. And no one caught provisions that were tucked in there by all the fancy lobbyists that made it so that banks could basically push people out of their homes. That kind of legislation is dangerous. And our constituents back home are counting on us to read these bills and be accountable for what's in them. So a, a lot of things wrapped up in that. But at the end of the day, this is the first time since COVID has begun that we have a partisan bill. Not a single Republican has supported it. No GOP senators have supported it. And I think that's a sign of just how terrible this bill is, because we have a track record of four previous COVID bills that were all bipartisan because they were they were focused on aid. They were focused on vaccines, on distribution, on development, on PPP, getting businesses back open. That's not what this bill does. Congresswoman, last week I turned my TV on Fox News and there you are. And you were talking about now I missed the beginning of it, but you're talking about a bill that would um, strip. Um, police officers, I think you even mentioned your husband, yeah. of bulletproof vests. Yeah. So, of course, I got all excited when I saw you. Uh, can you tell us what that bill was about? Yes. Um, so uh, last week, the House Democrats put a bill on the floor called the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. And what this bill does was uh, it takes away qualified immunity, so strips that away from police officers that would require them to have a private insurance plan per officer that would protect them from lawsuits um, if, heaven forbid, they find themselves in a situation where they have to defend themselves um, or you know, shoot a criminal that is attacking them or attacking someone else. And so that's the first problem with this bill. The second problem is it removes money from funding for critical life-saving equipment, like my husband's SWAT vest. And so to illustrate that point, I brought my, my husband's SWAT vest, actually he has two of them, because um, he does SWAT vest or uh, SWAT medic work for two different departments. So I, I borrowed one of his vests, brought it on the house floor, 
and very dramatically and intentionally dropped it with a resounding thud on the table next to me to kind of silence the chamber. And um, my point was, this bill does nothing to protect our communities. It does nothing to strengthen our law enforcement departments. It does nothing to make police better trained, responsive, more resourceful, nothing. It actually weakens our communities, makes our communities less safe, and is going to have uh, terrible, terrible resounding rippling effects throughout our law enforcement community. And I use my husband's uh, SWAT vest as an example saying, you know, this bill takes this vest off his back because that's what it does. The the money that is in this, and I, I hear critics say, oh, there's no stripping of funds in there. True. The funds aren't taken out but they are redirected to groups like the NAACP, to the ACLU. And that's written in this bill. And the thing that I take issue with is the fact that I think everyone wants to see our police officers and our departments with more training, with more resources to better serve their community. So why in the heck are we making moves to defund them? Most midsize and small departments will not survive this bill. And that is why I was so fired up about it. That's why I was so vocal about it. And I think it's just something that is is really leading up to an ultimate agenda of what the left is trying to do in making people incredibly dependent on big federal government. And, uh, you know, we talked about last week how they fundamentally changed elections. We, they defunded the police. This week, we're voting on a massive stimulus package. Um, and they're voting on guns and, and gun grabbing bills. This is a major infringement on our constitutional rights. And I think every American, again, regardless of where you find yourself on the political spectrum, you should be concerned about this. Right. Thank you so much. Congresswoman, we know that your time is precious and we promised only take 20 minutes of your time. So thank you for agreeing to be our guest today on the definitive wrap. Alan and I thank our listening audience for tuning in. And we thank thenews.com for being their official podcast. Thank you again so much. You do incredible work. And um, you're, you're, you're just an inspiration to, to, to the world, not just the United States. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll try, to, I'll try to live up to that. So Good. You guys you do. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.